Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 322 of the Fun with Cars Motorsports Podcast, or episode 9 of 2022. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the man who puts the rad in Colorado, uh, uh, Rob Holland. Hey, Rob. What's up, buddy? I don't know about the rad thing, but I'll, you know, I, I try to be as with it and cool as possible. Just trying to try to keep <laughs> up with you. <laughs> well, hey. It's it's tough, as you can see. I'm fast paced, too fast to shave. It is Thursday afternoon, April 21st, and Rob and I are going to talk about his latest race at Sonoma, as well as just kind of what it's like to be a race car driver slash team owner. Rob, not a boring life these days. How are you? <laughs> Never a boring life, which is what I've always wanted. You know, it's uh. Always crazy, always hectic, doing the the race racing thing, doing the automotive journalist thing, and then just doing the day to day life thing. So it's crazy times, but I'm I'm happy to be back on the road and doing uh, doing the stuff I love doing. So you're kind of a reluctant team owner, I would say, because you've been a professional race car driver for decades now, but the way things fell into place, it was. I'm just going to choose my words carefully and you correct as you see fit. You were heavily encouraged to keep racing an SRO, but <laughs> the team you were racing with wasn't aligned with a sponsor. Am I, am I, am I kind of on the right page here? Yeah, to a degree. Um, you know, and, and, and it, it's all good. Uh, I, you know, we've, you know, we, you know, my buddy Roland Pritzker and I started Rotec racing back in 2011, 2012, um, you know, doing stuff over at the Nürburgring. And I think that's probably my, my. Oh, that's that little uh, local regional track. That that, little, yeah. The little no regional track over in Germany, uh, club track. <laughs> call it. Club um, track. <laughs> we, we, uh, we started it back then. So I think that was kind of the first push into, into team ownership. And it wasn't really, you know, once again, a, 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 the design to go do that, it was just an opportunity that existed and, you know, the ability to be able to go over to the Nürburgring and live in Germany and, and kind of immerse myself in, in European racing for, you know, half a decade was, you know, that's, that's pretty enticing. Um, you know, but, but in order for me to do that, I had to become a, a team owner. You know, I, the, the deal was that I go over and set up the program and start running things. And we had team managers and stuff, but at the end of the day, I was the, I was the go-to guy. So, you know, that was kind of the the direction of things. And then, so when, um, you know, we, we still own the property over there and we still have, have things going on, but, um, you know, I'd started spending more time back in the U.S. and, um, you know, with the encouragement of Greg Gill over at SRO, um, you know, looked at at running the SRO championship. Um, but in order to do that, you know, it was it was kind of one of those things where I didn't have a program here. Um, and the easiest thing to do was actually just to kind of port the stuff we had done with Rotec Racing over in in Europe and bring it back to the States. And so, you know, that's kind of what happened. And we, you know, bought, you know, obviously, you know, myself, but all the equipment and everything else. And then I'm like, well, I've been doing this for five, six, seven years. Why don't I just keep running the team and running the program? And that's that's kind of how that all came about. So it's a uh, it's a full time job and then some. Um, and then obviously with everything else I've got going on, it keeps you really busy. But um, you know, but I, I I've I've grown to enjoy doing it. I mean, I think the thing for me is that I still get to to, to drive a race car. Uh, I think I'd be I, I'd be very difficult. Like I don't understand like how AJ Foyt does it. Like it's got to kill him every time <laughs> he goes to the racetrack, and he's like, I should be in those cars. Um, so fortunately for me, I, I you know I'm still at the, the the point where I can still race and be competitive. 
So, uh, so the, the team ownership thing isn't, isn't, uh, isn't such a bad way to, to make a living. Well, I can tell you that, uh, all your uh, adventures throughout the U S and Europe have benefited me. So I'm certainly for them, uh, because of you, Rob Holland, um, I, I know a little bit more about the Nürburgring and I learned about the value of Google translate and, uh, <laughs> many other things. So uh, I thank you for your work, um, if no one else has. Um, <laughs> so for the people that don't know, and I imagine most do, but for the people that don't, SRO is very similar to IMSA in terms of the style of racing. It tends to be, it tends to be sports cars and those types of things, but it's not endurance racing. It's more sprint racing. So is is that a fair? It's kind of like the sprint racing version of IMSA. That's exactly what it is. It's it's the old Speed World Challenge, uh, Speed Vision, uh, Pirelli World Challenge. It's been a number of things, and it's kind of morphed into the uh, the SRO, um, you know, GT World Challenge. Um, and you know, World Challenge has always been about more about sprint racing. Um, you know, they do now have the the GT4 America. Uh, you know, race and also the, the, uh, GT world challenge presented by Fanatec or, or something along those lines. Um, but the, um, you know, those are two driver races, but they're still only an hour long, whereas IMSA's races ah. are two and a half, three, four hours long. And, and, you know, these are, are a lot shorter, which is, I, I've just always enjoyed that style of racing. It, it's funny. I, I like the very short stuff or the very long stuff. Um, the, the stuff that's kind of in the middle, the three, four hour stuff really doesn't, you know, doesn't really kind of get the, the juices flowing for, for me. Um, but, but, uh, you know, I've, I've been associated with world challenge since, you know, my, my rookie, uh, you know, debut and back in 2005. So it's been, you know, almost uh, two decades worth of, uh, racing in, in world challenge. Yeah, yeah, and it is. It's a wonderful, wonderful series. Uh, I I completely agree with that. Now, in this most recent foray into it, because there was World Challenger rookie season, but then in between that, there was a whole lot of other stuff, British Touring Car Championship, things in Germany, of course, and all that. But more recently, when you got back into it, you were jumping into a GT4 Mustang, but Mm -hmm. you were getting bored things were getting too settled. So you decided to switch things up again. And now you're driving a Porsche Cayman GT4 RS. How's that? How's that part of it going? Yeah, it, great. I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't actually say we got bored with the Mustang. Um, you know, Mustang was, <laughs> well, was, my was, words, it, you know, it's uh no, and, and honestly, we're, and we're still running the Mustang for, for, um, you know, for one of our customers. Um, and it's, it's a great car. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it and it was, it was, it's funny because it wasn't the traditional, what you would consider a Mustang's strengths and weaknesses. You know, everyone's like, yeah, it's a muscle car. It, you know, it, it's oh. got great power, you know, it doesn't handle very well. Da, da, da. And the must, the GT4 Mustang is literally flipping it all in their head. Like it's, it's the best handling GT4 car out there right now. Um, and it's just, it's actually down on power. And that has more to do with the balance of performance that the series mandates to keep all the cars, you know, roughly equal and competitive. Um, you know, so I really enjoyed that, but, you know, when Porsche came out with the GT4 RS Club Sport, um, you know, that's that's kind of a hard thing to, to turn down, you know, and, and they were only bringing, uh, it was originally, I think, 25 cars in the country. I think they've only ended up so far with like 20, 20 or 21, um, you know, and in order to get one, you had to apply. So, 
you know, I, I threw my, my hat into the ring and, um, you know, and they, they, you know, obviously accepted us. And, you know, from my perspective, if, if Porsche deems you worthy of getting a GT4 RS club sport, then you should drive a GT4 RS club sport. And, uh, <laughs> deemed you worthy. I have, it's very, yeah, I, it's I, was, very I was deemed yes, worthy. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> but no, the awesome thing is, is that the, uh, um, you know, the car is, is amazing. Like it's, it's, you know, I don't know if you've had a chance to drive the, the street version yet, but, um, you know, it's, it's, so we went to the, to the, uh, uh, the launch for it. And I, I, I went I'm enthused about how amazing the car was. And, 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 you know, it's, it's the best sports car that, you know, Porsche ever made. And I was writing this and I was going, well, really, is it, is it that really that good? Or am I just now biased? Cause I'm driving for Porsche. I'm like, Nope, the car is that good. Every journalist <laughs> out says the same thing, and and the race car is just the street car turned up to eleven. You know, it's 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 everything that you would um, you know you expect the street car to do, but it does it so much better in every single department. You know, um, and we were able to run the car unrestricted at uh, St. Pete, um, you know, a few about a month ago, and the car was and that was with, with the IndyCar race. That was the IndyCar race. Yeah. Um, we, we were actually on pace with the GT two cars that were in the race with us. Like that's how good the Cayman is. Like it's, it's a, it's a brilliant, brilliant race car. So, um, so yeah, so we're, we're having a lot of fun with it and, and, uh, just learning things about it every single race weekend. Um, and now we've got a bit of, we've got about a month, month and a half break. And so we're going to, um, we're going to spend some time testing and kind of getting to, to understand the, the handling of the car a bit better really start to dial it in. Yeah. And now the thing that surprised me a little bit, you know, I've not driven the GT4 RS. Um, the most serious Cayman I've driven recently is the GTS, which is a couple notches down from that. Um, great, great car. Not the biggest car in the world. Rob, you're not, you're a pretty big guy. And I don't, I, I'm not talking about uh, body mass index here. I'm talking about your frame. You're just, you're just physically a big dude. I mean, how do you fit? in the Cayman, especially with a roll cage. Honestly, funny, like I su- fit surprisingly well. I fit better uh, in the Cayman than I would have, I, I would have thought and, and actually better in than some of the nine eleven race cars I've driven in the past. So, um, you know, that it, it's, for me, it's comfortable. There's not a huge amount of room, but there's enough. I mean, I'm, I'm six, two and, you know, uh, you know, 200 pounds and, and it, it, you would figure this, that physicality, um, in, in a small space of the Cayman would, would be tough, but it's really not. Like, I actually am very, very comfortable in there. Now, this is a GT4 spec car that is an international spec, just like GT3 is. And just as you mentioned, we do have to deal with balance of performance. So how how is that? You have, a, you have an international spec chassis. That's great because there's a lot of understanding across the U.S., Europe, Asia, everywhere. But... How do you deal with balance performance? How do you work around that? Like, what's that like from the team owner slash driver perspective? You know, it, you're kind of removed from it to a degree. Like it, last year with the Mustang was a bit tough because we were the only Mustang competing in the U.S. and, and one of two competing worldwide. Um, and, and so we didn't quite have um, the the manufacturer clout to, to help with the balance of performance. Because usually the manufacturers, you know, they they kind of, get all the data and then, you know, they have all the engineering and then they can make the, the arguments or counter arguments um, to, to SRO who handles all of the, the balance of performance. Um, and because of that, because we're, there were so few uh, cars running, there wasn't enough 
uh, data points uh, for SRO to kind of adequately assess a, a balance of performance. So we were more involved in that than I, I would have liked to have been last year. But Ford is 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 back and they're coming out with a new GT4 car. So they're really starting to push now on on the balance of performance. And, and um, you know, that's super helpful. The Porsche, we're completely out of the loop. You know, it, it's Porsche. We talk to Porsche engineers um, and give them their our feedback on where we think the car is strong or weak or where we could use help. But it's up to Porsche to go in and, and argue the balance of performance with the series. The good and the bad of things is that Porsche created such a good race car that it is so far better than every other car out there that we got hammered with the balance of performance for Sonoma. Um, you know, I think we added uh, 150 pounds of ballast. Um, no, you yeah. added a passenger, basically. Yeah, we yeah, basically you added a passenger. On top of that, uh, in fact, there was a, there was a, a you know a, a discussion going around that that we that as part of the balance of performance. Um, and because the weight is so heavy that you should be forced to put your spouse in the passenger seat, um, and, you know, how cool your spouse was would also be the balance of performance for the race cars. If you had a really cool spouse, then, you know, she's like, go faster, get that guy the other way. No, you know, stop. So, yeah, so that, uh, unfortunately didn't pass. So, um, you know, my wife is safe for the moment, but the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, yeah. So carrying a passenger, um, we're also running, Originally, the smallest restrictor they gave us was like a 60 millimeter restrictor. And after kind of the test and everything, we're now running a 53.7 millimeter restrictor, Jesus. which is like breathing through a straw. And on top so of this that, is, they, this is a, a physical restrictor that you put on the throttle body. Yes. So, yeah, it's in the intake um, and it basically just restricts the airflow into the engine, which then reduces horsepower. Um, the, you know, overall, it's... Um, the, the Porsche still um, pulls pretty strongly, but you can see at the top end, it just doesn't want to kind of get all the way to, um, you know, to the speeds that it was achieving before. But um, it's still pretty good on the bottom end. So it, it, it's definitely a hurt, but it's it's not the end of the world. Um, but the thing that really, really messed with us was the ride height. Um, Porsche recommends. Oh, did you have a, to relift ride height up? Yes. Um, and that's, uh, that's, yeah, the, yeah. that's the tough part is that the, um, we are, we are so, um, now over what the recommended ride height was from Porsche that we get into some really odd handling characteristics. Um, so it's not just like, okay, we've raised the car. So now the, the aerodynamics of the car don't work as well. Um, now it's, we're into some, some, some weird spots in the, in the suspension because Porsche never designed the car to run at that ride height. So, um, so we're having right. to play around with some things to, to make it more drivable. And, um, it was definitely something we struggled to get our head around over the course of the week. And the last, the last race, we, we got it nailed. We were getting better in qualifying. Um, we led in race one. So we'd kind of gotten our head around that, but then, you know, it was race two where we finally kind of got it into, I think the beginnings of the sweet spot so that we can, you know, use that as a base to, to kind of move forward. And that's with this elevated ride height. Yeah. Cause that's something that I don't think a lot of people realize suspensions don't move straight up and down. They follow an arc. You know, if if suspensions could had total freedom, they would go in a circle, not straight up and down a ladder. And right. um, so as you get lifted and lifted, you're changing where on that arc you are. And that affects um, the way the alignment functions and all these different kind of settings and even like the torques of different. I'm nerding out now. Sorry, everybody. But the point yeah, is, but the, that, the, the that's bigger, tricky stuff. The bigger worry is, is actually the, the suspension rate. 
Um, you know, as you, as you start going up, you one, get yourself droop limited, meaning that, um, you're so high now that there's no suspension travel left. Um, yeah, and so yeah, if yeah, car yeah. gets, you know, if you hit a bump, all of a sudden the, you don't have any, any contact patch with the ground with that particular wheel. Um, but then also too, in the suspension travel, you, you end up having a different, uh, rate of leverage of the suspension on the shock. And then that changes the handling through the, through the range of things. And as yeah, a driver, yeah, yeah. it's really difficult because it doesn't give you the consistency in the car to really kind of get up on the wheel. So like everything changes, you lean into a corner and you're like, ah, oh, I've got tons of grip and I'm, it's getting more grip as I'm leaning. And then all of a sudden all the grip goes away because this, the suspension goes into a falling rate because of the way that the, you know, the, the travel now has to happen. And it's because Porsche has never designed the car to run at that particular ride height and not any particular failing with the car itself. Yes. So what you just did was much more eloquently explain what I was trying to say with weird torques and stuff. <laughs> so thank you for that, sure. man. Much Glad better. to bail you out of that, buddy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's been two races so far. Is that right? They were at uh, St. Pete and then at Sonoma. St. Yeah, Pete, Saint was, Pete was... We weren't homologated for St. Pete, so we weren't running to the current balance of performance. Um, but but we were at Sonoma. When you say when you say we, do you mean you as a team? Uh, no, there was another Porsche or any of the Porsche GT4 RS clubs. Okay. Um, as a whole group, um, they the, the the GT4 RS club sports that were at St. Pete, it was Adam Adelson and myself weren't balanced. Uh, we had no homologation at that point in time. And then now we went to Sonoma. All of those cars are now, and there was multiple GT4RS club sports there. So, gotcha, gotcha. So, Sonoma was a big improvement over St. Pete. You first of all, you were official. You were homologated. Second of all, you had a better understanding of the car. As you said, you um, were up towards the front. I mean, how how did that race go? You know, overall, it, it it went well. I mean, the the hard part is is that we didn't really get the the balance of performance until the car was already loaded up on the truck on the way to the race. So there wasn't really I, yeah. a whole bunch of time for us to get an understanding of of what that that was. So um, you know, that's it's you're a little bit on the back foot there. There are teams that have been running their particular cars, whether it's Astons or McLarens or or, or you know Fords or whatever. Um, you know, those teams have had a long time to kind of get an idea of their their handling. Um, and the balance of performance for them, because the cars have been in existence for three, four, five years, it's roughly the same as it was last year. There might be a little more ride height, a little bit more weight, a little less restrictor, but overall they're the same. So you're in the ballpark and you kind of have an understanding of the car. The Porsche guys, it's a new car and a completely new BOP. So there wasn't that, that, that institutional knowledge, let's just say. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the you know, we made it work for the race weekend. We led briefly, briefly for like half the race in race one. Um, there was a jump start penalty, which there's a lot of politics behind. So we'll we'll decline to go into that for now. But uh, <laughs> it, it, it's it's debated by multiple drivers. There was there was an incident. We've you know we've we've moved past it. But um, so that 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 cost me the lead in the race. Um, you know, we ended up, I think, seventh in the first race after the drive through penalty. And then, um, the second race was actually a lot of fun. Um, it was, it was kind of the first race that was completely dry, um, on track because we'd had some, some rains on and off all weekend. Um, but it, it, uh, it was the, the top four or five cars were, were, I probably, no, sorry, six or seven cars were, were separated by no more than a car length the whole entire race. 
Um, lots of yellows, unfortunately, but we, we, the, the, when we were green, we were having a lot of fun. So just from a driver's perspective, I think we got six out of the, the, the day, but we had just so much fun just kind of going door to door with everybody else. You know, everybody was clean. Everybody was fair. Good guys that you can race with. And that's, that is, is kind of at the end of the day, it's, it's really good fun because it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you're just out there racing and wheeling the car and just having a really good time. So. Yeah. 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 And, but that, that does lead to a question. The SRO, you obviously have tons of talent. You've been doing this in a lot of, you know, big time series for a long time. Are there guys there that maybe paid their way to get in there, but didn't necessarily have the talent to truly be there and be at the front. I mean, how much of that do you have to deal with? Oh, you know, a little bit. I mean, the, the, the thing is, is that almost, I would say, you know, there's, there's no one there that shouldn't be there. Like that, that, that's, you know, maybe an overstatement to, to, um, you know, to, to, to guys abilities or, or, or underselling guys abilities. You know, the, the series is still pretty strict. I mean, they're, they're, no matter what series you go into, um, you always got guys that are going to be running at the back of the field, whether that's talent or the the car preparation or, or whatever. Um, you know, that's always going to be the case. Uh, the the bigger thing is is guys that are are, are going to be um, good and consistent behind the wheel, guys that you can 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 race with. That maybe they don't have all the experience, but um, you know they they still have. They've come up through club racing. They've come up through other stuff. Um, you know, and, and, and they're, they're good enough to be there just, just because you write a check to go racing. Lance Stroll is the perfect example. You know, you know, you, everybody kind of bags on Lance Stroll and oh, it's his dad's a billionaire and he owns the team. And that's the only reason he's there. But, you know, Lance Stroll put it on pole in what was it? Turkey, you know, a couple of years ago. And you go, look, if you can be on pole and especially in wet conditions in a formula one race, you, you, you deserve to be there. And so, you know, I, and I, he I, had an I, epic formula three season two where he won yeah. a ton of races and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. So I, it's, I, I always kind of, you know, bristle a little bit just cause you know, there, there are guys there that are paying their way that, that, that actually have a bunch of talent and you really look at the field and the, the front to back of the field. It's, you know, I don't remember what the qualifying gap was, but we had mixed conditions and I think it was no more than five seconds in really tricky conditions. So you know, if you can keep a field of guys that close, there's no one there that doesn't doesn't belong. So, um, you know, the yellow flags are are you know, and our our races are, are are caused by just it's close racing. You know, um, you know, it's it's tough. I mean, I've I've you know, I'll put my hand up just like everybody else is that you know, I've I've been over optimistic on passing opportunities and you know in 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 in, uh, in the past and. I'll, um, you know, I'll probably do it again at some point in time. So, you know, I will be as much the cause of yellow flags as yellow flags are caused to me. And you just kind of go, that's just the, 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 pen, uh, the penalty you pay or the price you pay um, for, de- you know, developing a racing platform that, that all the cars are relatively equal. You're just going to get very aggressive guys that are, you know, that's the only way you're going to be able to get around people. That's the British touring car model. I mean, you have, you know, the entire field at Brands Hatch. Um, was eight tenths of a second from front to back, 32 cars. So if you've got 32 cars and eight tenths of a second, it's going to be pandemonium. You know, I don't care how, mm-hmm. how talented the guys are. In fact, the more talented the guys, the probably the more pandemonium because everybody's confident in their ability behind the wheel. And, um, you know, so it's just what it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, what about the car itself? It's a four liter flat six, right? And... Uh, unrestricted, you've got to be well north of 400 horsepower, I would think. 
Um, 500 horsepower. Oh, there you five, go. 500, four, 496 or 98 horsepower is the streetcar. Um, and we're running the exact same motor, um, but we would be on race fuel. So, you know, whatever the, and then, and then our exhaust is going to be a little less restrictive. Um, you know, I don't know if Porsche has done anything with the tune on that car, uh, cause they really don't need to right now. Cause the engine's more powerful well, than, the, than the rules. Allow. There'd be an adjustment for the race fuel anyway. Yeah. So at the end of the day, our, our car, my guess would be 525, 530, um, you know, at the, at the crank. So it, it's, it's got a bunch of power. Yeah, absolutely. And then do you run through some sort of, is it a synchronized gearbox? Is it some style of PDK or? Stock PDK. We run the stock, stock PDK. PDK. Stock. That, I mean, that, so that, that is the thing with the GT4 class. GT3s are fairly bespoke developed race cars. I mean, they're, they're ground up designed to be race cars, sequential transmissions and um, you know, uh, you know, full race ECUs and electronics and uh, racing ABS, uh, and then and obviously the aerodynamics. Whereas the GT4 field uh, of cars is is literally like win on Sunday, sell on Monday. Like it, my my car is is a GT4 RS street car with different dampers, different exhaust, stripped interior, different tires. And- yeah, different tires, <laughs> wheels and tires. Wheels are yeah. actually they're stronger wheels. They're slightly lighter. Oh, well, no, I would think, I would think brake pad, brake pad at least. Brake, brake pads um, for sure. And, I, and the calipers might be different. I don't know. And I think it's only because street calipers have uh, a lot of rubber gaskets um, for like rubber uh, seals mm-hmm. for weather stuff like that. But ours don't yeah. because we overheat the brakes so much that you'd melt those. But I mean, really, like you, when you really kind of get down to it, like. It's ninety eight percent streetcar, um, you know, and and so and that's all of the GT four cars are designed to be that way. So it really is is um, you know a class of from a manufacturer's perspective, it's a class that is designed to, to showcase what they've created, um, you know, as a as a car that the general public can buy. So that's driving, that's exciting, it's wonderful. You're also the team owner. How is for this season with the new car and everything going, I mean, how is that complicating your life? And what are the benefits to that? If any, um, it's massively complicating my life. Uh, part of it is because we're running a second car. We're running our Mustang from last year, um, for the team that, that bought that car. And, and it's, uh, Chris, uh, Allegro and, uh, Edgar Lau. And then we actually, so Chris is running that car in GT America um, that's the, that's the same class that we're running, uh, with the Porsche and then Edgar Lau and this weekend was Billy Johnson. Um, we're, we're running in the GT4 America class, which is these, the, the two driver class. And it, they were running in the pro-am class. Billy, uh, for those who don't know, was a Ford factory driver a number of years. He was the one, um, who helped develop the Ford GT that went to Le Mans. And then he drove for the factory team at Le Mans. Uh, and has also developed the, the GT4 car that they're currently driving. So we brought Billy, and I've known Billy for a number of years, um, you know, to kind of help us develop that car and help get those guys up to speed. Um, you know, so we went from running the one car um, to, to now running two cars of different manufacturers and also now in three different classes, um, you know, or sorry, two two cars in one class and a car in, a, in another class. So 
uh, the, the day gets really busy. Um, you know, it's just nonstop. Uh, the, the, I would say it's, it's less of the fact that I'm the team owner. I'm kind of also the owner manager. Um, you yeah. Know, so okay. It, it, you know, it's up to me to keep the guys organized and going in the right direction. Um, you know, and I think that we'll look to bring someone on to help manage the team. The problem is, is that it's such a bizarre skill set. Like it's not a normal manager job. It's, you know, you, you're kind of like, part engineer, part manager, part mechanic, part like kindergarten babysitter. Um, like there's all of these things that you have to, to be able to do and do well. Um, you know, and the, and the tough part is, is that I have to do all of those things and then turn around and jump into a race car and go fast. So that's the hard part is that you don't get to, you know, I, I, it, it's always good to be able to sit back, look at data, look at video, talk to the engineers, and then you incrementally can use that to improve your pace and your, your racing over the weekend. But because of the multiple cars and, and everything else, I have less and less time to do that. So it's, it, it is, it was a, it was a long weekend this weekend, but uh, it's also satisfying. We get to the end of the weekend, you know, um, you know, I ran, you know, we, we were leading the race. I qualified third. We, we had had one more lap in the damp because we ran slicks in damp conditions and um, had I had one more lap, I probably would have put it on pole by two seconds. So the pace was there, um, you know, and then the fact that that Billy and Edgar ran in the GT4 America race um, and they finished, I think, sixth overall and fourth in class, um, you know, that that was a really good result. Um, and then Chris uh, was uh, it was his first pro race weekend um, and he got through it really well and had some really good results and really good racing was really competitive. So when you get to the end of the weekend and you've had all of those things that sure we didn't get the the win, we didn't get the podium that we really wanted, but we had a really solid race week and we have a lot to build on. I think that from a team owner manager standpoint, you know, that you can, there's a lot to take away from that. Yeah. And I can say now that I am the owner of my own operation, which is much, much smaller than yours, there's the satisfaction of having total creative freedom. So Mm. you know having complete freedom to you have to make the decisions you also mm -hmm. get to make the decisions right so there's there's kind of the push pull of that where yeah once the decision is made you, you made it for a reason that you completely understand and you can be completely at peace with that yep well and also you have to own your mistakes too because they're they're yeah, decisions exactly. yeah. they're just the wrong ones and you're like yep made that that's me guys sorry um, the, the thing that really is helpful is, is from the, the sponsor's perspective, you know, that, that's kind of how, you know, this all works is, is keeping, um, you know, keeping the sponsors involved and keeping them happy. Um, we obviously are, are, you know, we have two primary sponsors. One is Motul Oils and they do an amazing job and we've been with them. I, you know, I've been using their products. I mean, I was buying their products and paying for them before we got sponsored. So I've been using them for, you know, 15 years now. Um, yeah, and, seen them on the and, side of a lot of your uh, Pikes Peak cars. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So just been a great, great, great relationship. Um, and then we also picked up Hella Paget this year. Um, Hella is obviously the lighting company, and Paget is, is brake pads. And I've been using Paget's motorsport pad for as long as I can remember. Um, and this is their consumer arm, so we, we've got that. And um, you know, it's the the decisions. You know, when you're driving for somebody else, they're the ones that kind of make the commercial decisions about the team and where they go and what they do and how the cars get moved around. And for me, being team owner and manager, and then also looking at taking care of those partners, it's a lot easier to do that when you're in control of things. Um, you know, like, for example, 
Hella Paget is having a, a, an innovation event at, uh, at Porsche's headquarters in Atlanta, um, right before our race at VIR, you know, so I was able to kind of structure our, uh, pre-race, uh, schedule itinerary so that the truck is actually leaving five days before it's supposed to normally leave so that the car will be down there so that we could show it at, uh, at, at PCNA headquarters. And that's a great thing because Hella Paget will be there with their event. So that'll be the kind of the, the primary showcase of the event because we're their, their primary U.S. race team right now. But it's also, you know, not only for the, that event, but the fact that, you know, you've got your Porsche race car displayed at, you know, PCNA is, is definitely great for all of our other sponsors, you know, Pirelli and, and Gear at Carbon and, um, you know, Bell and OMP and, and all of these guys that, that I've been running with for, for such a long time that it, it really is that it's, it's a massive benefit all the way across the board. If I didn't own the team, I would have been hard. I would have to have gone and convinced the team owner that he would want to go do that. And then there's a cost involved. There's always a cost involved in doing that. And then you have to kind of say, okay, well, you know, now I got to write the team owner a check and that's not that going to support the racing program. So there's, yeah. there's a lot of decisions, you know, there's, there's the sporting side of things. There's the commercial side of things. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, kind of keeping that all straight and making sure that you maximize all of it wherever possible is, is the benefit to being the team owner, owner and manager, um, and, and not just a, you know, paid guy behind the wheel. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you explaining all that and all those different decisions that have to be made does put a sport like IndyCar or certainly Formula One in perspective of like, that's a lot to handle what you're talking about. And so you think about the size and scope of those big, big operations. It's oh, just yeah. kind they, of they have teams of people that are doing what I'm doing, you know, yeah. and it, and it is, yeah. I mean, it's the, 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 the moving parts and logistics behind all of that um, is, is just phenomenal. And it, it is, I mean, that's why, you know, when you get into IndyCar and Formula One and even when we were doing British Touring Car, um, you know, cause it's, it's British Touring Car is obviously not the level of Formula One, but from a commercial standpoint, it's, it's closer to like NASCAR in a way. So teams will build uh, show cars, display cars, that literally have all the bodywork and stuff, but are, are just empty shells inside. And we have the windows blacked out. So, so no one can tell that it's not the full race car from the outside. It looks just like it, but that also gives us the ability. Like, so for example, if we were going down to have a display at Porsche, we could bring a show car and I can stick the show car in a one car trailer and drop it there. And, you know, and no one knows the difference, but you know, because we don't have quite that um, you know, that we, we haven't had that, that ability and that time to go build a show car um, you know, we have to, we'll have to bring the, the, the actual real, real race car there. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah. those are, those are the things that like with IndyCar and NASCAR, that's, that's where you, um, you know, that's, that's why they're, you know, 20, 30, 40, 100, 150 million dollar a year, uh, organizations is, is for all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, Rob, this is all immensely fascinating. I always, I always love talking to you about this for those that want to follow you. What's the best way for them to do that? Uh, Instagram is always great at Rob Holland three, two B's and Rob. You can also follow me on my Facebook fan page. Um, and, uh, that's Rob Holland as well. So, um, yeah, always, always love to have fans on and, you know, we try to do our best to engage with them. People are always asking questions or, you know, commenting on race or having, you know, Hey, how did that happen in the race? So we like to try to try to give people like the inside information on kind of how the race weekend went stuff that you and I have talked about today. Um, you know, and I think that gives people a little bit different perspective on the, on the sport and what it is that we do. And where is the next race? Is the next race going to be at VIR? Well, technically the next race for the SRO championships is Ozarks, a uh, new track out in the middle of the Ozarks, which, uh, um, uh, J.R. Pesic has built. 
And uh, it, it looks like a mini Nurburgring. It's, it's pretty epic, tons of elevation change and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, it is not a point scoring race for GT America. So we're going to skip that so we can do some testing and help develop the car. Uh, also, we're going to be interested to see how the racing plays out there. It's, it's a tough yeah, track, sure, sure. very Nurburgring-esque. And so we're kind of like, yeah, let's sit back and wait for this one and just kind of see how <laughs> right, it turns out. Right. Um, that's the one problem with this. Yeah, talk about the issues of management. The biggest problem we've got right now is supply stuff. We can't get anything in right now. So that just adds one more layer of headache to the stuff that we've got to deal with. But the next yeah. race for us is uh, VIR. Uh, that's the second week in June. I'm really looking forward to, to being out there. And then that starts the the run of, uh, of, of crazy races and stuff. Cause we do that. We turn right back around, bring the car back to uh, Colorado for the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. And we'll be running the, the GT4 RS uh, completely unrestricted, lowered ride height, full super whammy. And then we're putting on a set of JRZ active dampers and sending it up the hill. So we've got that going out right after VIR. And then that leads us into August, which is the, uh, the Nashville race weekend, which is always great fun with IndyCar. Another IndyCar support race. Yeah, so that's going to be really good fun. So if you guys are in the area, you should definitely come by and check that out. And there's only one thing that I think is more exciting than that, and you should definitely follow Rob and what he's doing. And that's my latest YouTube video. You got to check it out. It is on the Honda Passport Trail Sport. Rob, humble brag. That's right. I drove a trail sport probably before I'm, you did. I'm not trying I'm to jealous, rub dude. it in. I, but. I've been trying to get one for months, and I can't. They're just all booked yeah. up. There you go, man. So there it is. It's it's my third Honda video in a row. It's kind of just the way everything worked out, but it is definitely a different take on your standard kind of two-row SUV, and I think worth a watch. It's a trail sport. There's sport in the name. How can you not love it? But for now, I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcast. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars and check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. Rob Holland, man, what a treat to have you on. Really appreciate hearing from you and getting some of these insights on team ownership and team driving. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me, buddy. I always appreciate it. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. Goodbye.